Welcome to the Room of Lives. I'm your host, Neil. This is the third part of my conversation with Dr. Miriam Schoenfeld, who is a professor of philosophy at UT Austin and teaches a course called Who Am I? In this conversation, I asked Miriam, what do you think is yourself? How did you become interested in the question of the self? I share my lifelong journey of questioning the self that led to non-duality. Then we compare our perspectives on the self, subjective versus objective facts, dream versus reality, and the continuity of the self over time. Okay, so we're gonna like sort of just get right into it. Great. So right as we're sitting here yeah. in this room and we're having this conversation now, in this moment, what do you think is the self or is the, who's having this conversation? Ooh, that's a hard question. <laughs> yeah. So at the moment, let's forget about all the theories that you teach and other people's I'm ideas. Thinking. I'm just trying to get straight at what is your belief about what the self is, like yourself. Yeah. I see. It's very hard for me to like not start thinking about all the theories when mm. you ask that question. Mm -hmm. um, but I guess like, I guess when I'm not being theoretical about it, mm -hmm. then my sort of day-to-day -day conception of the self is... Uh, like the intuitive conception of the self is something like some sort of mental mind mm. that like lives inside my head mm. and has experiences of the world mm. and makes decisions, mm. um, kind of like a homunculus almost. Yeah. Um, I don't think I endorse that as the correct view, but that's like the... That's what it that's feels the, like. That's how it feels like. That's yeah. what it feels like. Yeah. Yeah. I think one of the reasons that I wanted to start with that question and not the theories yeah. is it feels like when people talk about the self, yeah. it's such an elusive thing, actually, mm -hmm. that you very easily get kind of veiled by like ideas and things. And then you start talking about that. But really, I think the self is like a more immediate thing. You gotta keep cutting through all the web of thoughts. You're like, okay, who's thinking that right now? Yeah. Who is thinking about the theory of the self? Yeah. Um, so are you actually interested in the self or you just teach a course? I'm interested in it. Yeah, how yeah. did you become interested? That's a great question. I think I became interested, I became interested when I started listening to some of Alan Watts lectures mm. where he was giving arguments for like the self as being identical to the universe so yeah like, I am the universe and before I'd listened to that if someone had put that idea before me I would have thought this is the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but he had these like really compelling I don't know if I want to say exactly arguments but considerations the lectures yeah. were very compelling and and i just noticed that as i was listening more and more i started kind of like 
feeling myself adopting that perspective, yeah. kind of trying it on for size, you know? Yeah. And it was so thrilling yeah. and intriguing. And yeah. I was kind of like, whoa. The and more so, you get into that perspective, the more you can't back out. Yeah, the more you can't back out. Yeah. 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 There's something a little bit irreversible that happens when you get into Yeah. That it's kind of seductive. Yeah. 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 yeah it like, sounds true. Yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> right? Actually, I think the name of the recording company that records this lecture is called Sounds True. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Actually, oh, you, is that the pun? I guess that's the pun. I didn't okay. know that you knew that. But oh, okay. I was like, oh, that's kind of an interesting name for like this publication company because it does kind of highlight how some of these like wisdom things are not, when you hear them, it's not like, oh yeah, I see how it logically connects to whatever. It's just like the impact of it is like, that kind of sounds true. Yes. Exactly. You know, so it's almost like rather than an analytical derivation, it's like a remembering. Yes. It's like, wait, that sounds, that kind of sounds true. Yeah. Yeah. So the funny thing is you said that before, before you had kind of uh, familiarized yourself with Alan Watts' stuff, if someone had said that idea, you'd be like, oh, that's bonkers. Yeah. The reason I say that's funny is because I wasn't sure that you, if you had heard of the idea of non-duality mm-hmm. because I've seen people in the West who work on things like the self who haven't actually encountered what is mostly an Eastern idea about non-duality. So I was here to come also and like talk a little bit about the perspective about this non-dual perspective of the self that I've come across. Yeah. And I was like, well, what is that conversation going to be like? Is it going to be like completely new? And you're going to be like, what the fuck is this guy <laughs> talking about? Or, okay, so I'm kind of glad that, you know. Yeah. Uh, yeah. My students are going to be listening to that Alan Watts stuff uh, next week, actually. Yeah, yeah. yeah I see. So my personal thing with, I feel like I've had like sort of a lifelong journey about the self. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I just want to like spend a couple of minutes like explaining where I'm coming from. I think I've had like weird dissociative experiences a couple of times in my life. And saying dissociative is like one of the ways of putting it. I guess that would be the word that Western psychology would use. But in a lot of Eastern traditions, it's not just seen as like a dissociation. The word seems like it's a failing of some kind of a normal way of functioning, where I think the a lot of Western psychology uh, is, is founds itself on the pillar of the self. So if the self disappears, like, oh, shit's not working. But in Eastern philosophy, it's not actually seen as a transcendental experience, which you actually get a little bit closer to the truth of reality. Yes, absolutely. And the self is kind of seen as an illusion. So anyway, so I had some dissociative experiences, um, sort of against my will, like it just happened to me. Like I used to get visions in my mid-teens. I would get involuntary, involuntary visions of what would happen after I die. And basically it was... Um, different visualizations of my separate self and identity dissolving into a whole. And I, it's like some people call that like union with God or whatever. I wanted none of it. I was an atheist and I was like, I actually want to stay encapsulated within myself forever. But these visions would like really kind of blur the boundaries between me and whatever is beyond me. And I did not like that at all. It was like, I grew up with like a gripping fear of death. And so the fear of death is was synonymous with the fear of the dissolution of identity. Yeah. And sometimes it would be triggered by like different things, like me looking at myself in the mirror. A lot of the time would be like, oh shit, here it comes. Who is that? And then it's like, it's, you know, and the, 
So the question of who am I and what is going to happen at death were somehow the same question in my head. Mm-hmm. Because it was all about who am I is like drawing the boundary between what is me and what is not. And my death is the same question of what is dying. Yeah. Is there an inside and outside and the inside is going to the outside or what is dying exactly? Yeah, what is it that you are that is dying? Yeah. You know? And I did not want to go down that path, but my mind would. Mm-hmm. And it kind of would feel like a lot of information is coming out of somewhere into my mind that it was like a tornado of like truth that I did not want to be in. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was like one example of like this dissociative or whatever, you know, this, these experiences. But then the question of what is the self like kept on like in my mind, it's not in a narcissistic way, you know, who am I, what, whatever. It's almost like the opposite. It's like questioning what the self even is then at some point i well i mean i did some psychedelics and i also encountered non-duality mm-hmm. and i same shit happened where in the beginning i was like what's it this is like word salad what is this what and but then it kind of had the effect of how you know an insect sees a candle and starts going towards the flame mm-hmm and is eventually extinguished by the flame and disappears. Mm-hmm. Uh, I kind of felt like uh, an, an insect going towards the flame. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the more I went in, the more I was like, oh yeah, that's totally true. That's mm-hmm. totally obviously true. Mm-hmm. But there is still a self saying that. So it's still like a conceptual mind that still subjectively feels like I'm running the body, making decisions, and mm-hmm. there is no self. Mm-hmm. So it's not completely no self yeah there's like enough of a self left who's like intellectually i totally get that yeah yeah that there's no self. so but there is a self yeah yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah so that's just kind of like my background yeah um, wow what a story yeah where i am right now yeah and but also my fears about death have like really reduced a lot so i feel like more and more uh what was like a deathly fear to me is questioning the boundary of the self has become more of like, yeah, I'm chill with it. Mm -hmm. I'm chill with like probing that and questioning that more and watching it dissolve. Mm -hmm. Sometimes in psychedelic states, the self will actually like kind of like physically dissolve, but then it comes back. But in those experiences, I've been like more okay with it. Mm -hmm. And my general perspective is that it's not like anything new is happening. Mm-hmm. Like there is actually already no self. Yeah. But sometimes it's just revealed. Yeah. So I need not freak out because all the time actually there's no self. Yeah. So, yeah. So yeah. Yeah. It's fine. Yeah. Yeah. Well, where are you in relation to that perspective? Let's see. So, um... Yeah, I, I, I can I can say some things about that. So so one of the things that I do find very compelling about that perspective. Um, so yeah, I guess there's two things. One is like we've we've been talking about it a little bit. Sometimes you kind of it just like sounds true, or you get you feel it on an an experiential level or something like that. But when I have thought about it more analytically. Um, some of the arguments that kind of move me in that direction um, have to do with the lack of physical boundaries between bodies 
and non-bodies. So mm. if I think about my body, for example, um, there is no sharp line between like which particles are part of my body and which are not. And that's, you see that all over, like it's, it's true all over the body. So if you think about my skin, you know, there's like mm. little electrons that haven't decided whether to be part of me or not. Yeah. Um, you think about um, breath, air that's coming in and out. Is the air part of me once it's inside, yeah. not part of me once it's outside? Um, and I think some people think that that's one reason why meditation focuses a lot on the breath is because the breath has this in-between quality mm. of like, <laughs> it's out, then it's in, then it's out. Like yeah. it kind of blurs the boundary. Um, and I often sometimes find it most vivid when it comes to food. Like here's a piece of food that's sitting on a table, definitely not me. Yeah. And then suddenly it is. Yeah. And so, and that's not just for people, right? For chairs, any object you see has blurry boundaries. Yeah. Um, so in so far as like, if I were to think of myself as a body, I would say there are no sharp lines between this body and the rest of the universe. Um, and so, uh, so that sometimes like kind of gets me in the mood to mm. thinking like actually even on a, like if you were really just like being hardcore sort of physicalist about the whole thing, mm. you can't find these sharp boundaries in the physical world. Yeah. Um, the thing that kind of bugs me slash fascinates me, though, is that it does seem to me like there are sharp boundaries in the mental world. So, like, there are certain particles where I think it's not clear whether they're part of me or not, but there's no, like, thought or pain that I experience where I'm like, oh, maybe that's Neil's, maybe that's mine, it's kind of in between. It seems like our mental lives have like these, like a cage around them. Like mm. these ones are mine, these ones are yours. Yeah, yeah. And it's very hard to think of how there could be indeterminacy or blurriness in boundaries between different people's experience. Mm. And so that that's something that's really puzzled me mm. because, like, insofar as I get swept away by that view. I also have the sense that, um, yeah, there are these sharp lines in, in the mental realm. Yeah. Um, and maybe I'll say one other thing that uh, has sort of bugged me <laughs> about like the, the, the non-duality view or the idea that there's just one thing, the universe. Um, there are cases that uh, talk about, to get talked about sometimes in philosophy and epistemology in particular, where you have ignorance about who you are. So like one example would be, it's just like kind of sci-fi-ish example, but like uh, you find out that you've got what's called a qualitative duplicate. So like someone that looks like you has exactly the same thoughts as you, but like a distinct body. So like mm -hmm. a clone of you, mm -hmm. yeah? And, um, and you were each like kidnapped or something and put into these identical rooms and then you both wake up and then you both hear like a loudspeaker come and say something like one of you is in front of is in a room that's near a lake and one of you is in a room that's in front of a mountain yeah and it seems like 
I can ask myself the question, am I the one by the lake? Yeah. But if you get rid of the self facts, mm. there's no way to formulate the question. Because I can't say like, you know, is the person wearing the white shirt the one by the lake? Because my clone is also wearing a white shirt. Oh, yeah, yeah. You're saying that there's no, the only way to ask that question is from the perspective of the people waking up. But if you are taking an outsider's perspective of these two clones, there's no way to even formulate who's where. Yes, exactly. Which means that the clones, like if I am one of the clones, the only way I can formulate the question is by appeal to using self-language. Yeah. And, and yeah, yet, I, it yeah. seems to me like, for mm. sure, there's a coherent question. For sure, there's a fact of the matter about whether I am by the lake or yeah. not. Yeah. And when I, but if you fully take on this um, no self view, I think you can't, the question doesn't make sense. Yeah. So that's my other like gripping point where I feel like, well, that question really does seem like it makes sense to me, but the no self view doesn't allow for that question to make sense. The question makes sense to one self, but not the other. The observer self or the experimenter self, it makes. Well, I think the question makes sense from the perspective of yeah. one of the clones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what I'm saying is that some questions can make sense from some perspectives, but not others. So I don't really know what the contradiction is here. I guess when I think about, suppose we take it for granted that the mm-hmm. question does make sense from the perspective of the clone. Yeah. So what I want to say is that means that there is something that the clone Mm. is uncertain about. Yeah. And the way, and what that means is they're uncertain about the world being one way or the world being another way. Yeah, but not an objective quality of the world. And objective qualities, questions about objective, quote unquote, are the ones that translate like it should make the same sense no matter who's asking. Yeah. But what this kind of reminds me of, I mean, this is, Granted, I've never actually thought about this before. Yeah. But what this reminds me of is like some other stuff like, you know, for example, in neuroscience and whatever, or AI, we are starting to get closer and closer to thinking about what is artificial general purpose intelligence? Is this thing conscious? Blah, blah, blah. And that's one of those questions where you're like, is this thing conscious? Is a question that you can never really answer from the outside. Like, what test can you do to know if a robot is conscious? The test of consciousness is being inside. You know, it's like, hey, I'm here. Uh, I am conscious. But if you're outside, there's no way to... There's nothing you can do from the observer's perspective to have an answer to that question. So I feel like uh, the reason I'm connecting these two dots is like the uh, what we're talking about is the subjective perspective is something that only manifests if you are experiencing it from that perspective. That's the only thing that it's about. So if you remove that, then it's like you remove the whole thing that you're like talking about. So there's, um, there's no like objective tests to know whether a robot is conscious because you have to inherit its perspective and like, okay, the lights are on. I am actually aware. So in your question like this, like you would actually have to be inside one of those clones looking outside in order for that self-reference to have any meaning and mm-hmm. to say, am I, you know, by the lake or, or, or whatever. Yeah. Okay. Let me see if I can, if I can uh, sort of say that back to you. So you're saying there's no test you can do from the outside. Mm. 
to determine with certainty whether something else is conscious. Yeah. And what do you take that to show? I'm just saying that talking about consciousness, or let's say in this case, self-consciousness, being aware that I'm here and whatever, is something where the core of that idea of being conscious or self-conscious is being it. That's what the core of it is. So if you're not being it, a lot of things are no longer going to make sense. Like, for example, uh, yes, I'm conscious or not conscious is something that you can only ask from a first-person perspective. So if your answer is, yes, I'm conscious, from the outside, there's no way for me to know if you are some kind of like a zombie, mm -hmm. like without any lights on inside. Mm -hmm. So suddenly, just because I've changed my perspective, mm -hmm. there's no way to settle the question. But for you, there is a way to settle the question. We'll assume you're like, okay, I'm conscious. Yeah. yeah. So in that same way, what I'm saying is that if you wake up as one of those clones, this question makes sense because you're able to refer to yourself only because you are that self. Yeah. So you know what to refer to. Yeah. But if you're not that self, it does. Well, it's about self-reference, right? Yeah. It's not about reference to something out there in the world. So the experimenter can only refer to subject one or subject two. Mm -hmm. But uh, only the clones can refer to themselves. So this thing called the self is an anchor point from the perspective of the experience of each self. But not from the perspective of an outsider. Mm -hmm. so that anchor point that they're asking that question about only makes sense from that perspective and there exist things like that in the world which only make sense or exist from certain perspectives yeah okay so so a couple thoughts about that so one is um i want to distinguish between things that you cannot know about mm. unless you occupy a certain perspective mm versus things versus um, what I would say distinctions that only make sense mm -hmm. from a certain perspective. So I yeah. think I can't know for certain whether you're conscious, mm. but I still think there is a fact of the matter about whether you're conscious, even if I don't know about it. Oh, yeah. I and don't I can completely believe that. Oh, you don't, com you don't <laughs> think there's a fact of the matter about whether someone else is conscious? No. Why? I think because consciousness is subjective, so it doesn't make any sense to ask that question. No matter what way I have an answer, I wouldn't know for sure. Well, but yeah, that's the distinction I'm trying to draw. I'm trying yeah. to think there are things that we might never know for sure. Yeah. But that doesn't mean there's no fact of the matter. I like, think that's I might where never... our perspectives differ. I see. What about <laughs> something like the number of stars like maybe we'll never know for sure what the number of stars are but do you think there's a fact about how many stars there are maybe i think that's kind of an imagination i see yeah i don't actually i think maybe i used to have a more objective perspective on into the world mm -hmm. previously but now more and more i see that the only quote-unquote facts of the matter is just what conscious experience is happening and any inferences about the nature of the world behind it or whatever's going on behind my eyes right now or there's this physical world which projects images into our mind that's what material science is about it's like we just see like a shadow what's the world really like out there all of those are like for me like now just imaginations so there's no fact of the matter 
so that's fun. So, yeah, there's two ways of interpreting their just imagination. Mm. So one is um, a kind of skepticism in the sense yeah. of, I don't really trust whatever inferences are being made yeah. that aren't the things that are in my direct experience. Yeah, I'm not saying that the real world could actually be different from what we believe. I'm saying that there's no point in talking about it. You're saying, but there can, oh, I guess what I'm saying is there are different reasons why there might be no uh -huh. point. One right. reason there might be no point is because we can't know about it. Another yeah. reason there might no, be no point, and it sounds like maybe this is where you're going, is that there actually is no fact of the matter. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever we talk about when we're talking about are like words connected to symbols in our mm -hmm. mind. Yeah. So what we're actually talking about is we're referring to thoughts arising in the mind. When so, we say the number of stars out there. I see. Or so, when I say whether you're conscious or not, mm -hmm. that's just a thought consideration in my mind. Uh-huh. So what are there facts about? Um, I feel like if you were talking about facts, I don't know what facts mean, but I would say if you ask me what is real, I would just say whatever is undeniably arising in this moment, like the sound of my voice and this picture, mm -hmm. that's, but also there is nothing that's unreal. Mm -hmm. So all of the stuff that we're talking about, these facts, they arise as thoughts and there are patterns in the world which allow us to do objective science, meaning that one person measures something over here, another person measures the same thing, gets the same answer. Those patterns happen to be true. Mm -hmm. And so a story can be made of things called facts that underlie the projection of the world. And it ends up being kind of coherent, but that's just how things are. It could change any moment. Mm -hmm. So I feel like I am a very minimalist when it comes to believing what's happening. Mm -hmm. I'm still like some of the things you're saying like sound to me more like what in epistemology we call skepticism. Yeah. Where you're like, I don't really have beliefs about things that are happening outside. Yeah. Um, I think that's also true. That's, that's also true. Yeah, yeah. I should also just say that this thing called knowledge yeah. of I know what the world is mm -hmm. for a long time I believed oh I know a great deal because mm -hmm. I've had this education in physics and whatever I don't actually even believe in knowledge anymore. yeah like I think knowledge is one of the things that separates the subject and the object yeah. I know about the world but I think it's all just one soup and knowledge is also arising in the form of thoughts and it's just kind of just doing his thing. Right. Okay. So that also sounds a little bit like what, um, what in epistemology we would call skepticism. Mm. So skeptics official position is, uh, there's no knowledge or there's no knowledge about a certain domain or another version of it is there's no justification for believing things or there's no justification for believing things about a certain domain. Um, but, but then, but then there's the, uh, what we would in philosophy describe as like a, a metaphysical question about, forget about what we do and don't know, what we can and can't know, what are there facts of the matter about, mm. right? So you might say, so this isn't your view, but someone might say, look, I think there's a fact of the matter about how many stars there are, but maybe no one will ever know about it. Mm. But I don't think there's a fact of the matter about whether this chair is to the right of me or to the left of me, because that's an inherently perspectival question. 
right? It's to the right mm. of me relative to me, and it's to the uh, left of me relative to you. Yeah. So, like, we can distinguish, like, sentences mm. that are such that there's some mm. fact in the world that, that yeah. grounds the truth or falsity, whether we can know it or not, yeah. versus ones that actually there's nothing about the world that would decide the matter. Yeah. Um, this definition that you just gave, I would say it, it seems like what you're talking about are objective facts versus subjective facts. When I, when you, what you're talking about facts are where people to decide they would like, that would be the one thing that's true for everyone. Mm-hmm. There would be a certain number of stars that's true for every mm-hmm. person. Yeah. And, but seat is to the right or the left would depend on whatever consciousness you're, <laughs> you're uh, inhabiting. Yeah. You know? So I just don't think that there is anything objective. Okay. You don't think there are any objective facts? No. Okay, interesting. Yeah, interesting. I think the this idea of objective is something that we have cooked up. Okay. That we have cooked up. I'm not saying that it's all wrong. I'm yeah. just saying that it happens to work. Yeah. But it is a mental construct. It is an imagination. Uh-huh. In the way that I would say, right now, if you think, what is the shape of the earth? Yeah. What is the shape of the earth? Round. Okay, that's an imagination. Right now, in the moment when you say that the shape of the earth it's not something that you're experiencing right now. Mm-hmm. You're just experiencing this room, mm-hmm. talking to me, play of light and color, mm-hmm. thoughts, associations. Mm-hmm. But there is a widely held belief and blah, blah. So I'm saying all of those facts of the matter are like that. In the moment, their only existence is the arising as thoughts in the mind connected to other thoughts that we have experienced in the company of apparently other conscious humans. Mm-hmm. Apparently. Is it an objective fact that thoughts exist? I don't know, because I don't know if you have thoughts. No, just not any particular person's thoughts, but just that there exist thoughts. If I don't even know if anyone else is conscious, then the question reduces to, do I have thoughts? Yeah. That's no longer an objective question. That's just about me. Well, you can ask it... You can ask the question in an mm. objective way. Like, um, you might think, like, whether... I don't know, like whether you have shoes, for example, yeah. that's not a, that's not really a question about like, yeah, but that's, might a, say that's an a, objective question, whether yeah. you have shoes. And it's similarly, a little bit different talking about thoughts than shoes because you and I can more or less agree on what are shoes, but we, what you're calling thoughts, I don't no longer know because I don't even know if you're conscious. So I have a certain thing that I call thoughts and those exist, but I don't even know if that's what you're talking about. Okay, so you have a thing that you call thoughts and those exist. Yeah, they're like uh, words or sayings inside my head. Okay. Yeah. Now, uh, and they exist right now at this time. Yes, I heard my voice say yes. So, yeah. Yes, okay. <laughs> That's one of those thoughts. Yeah. Now, do you now think that if in five minutes from now, yeah. you were to deny the existence of having had thoughts yeah. five minutes before, yeah. you would be wrong? Um, I don't know why I would do that, but if myself... Like suppose you have amnesia or something. Okay, so here's something else. Um, it's about time. Mm-hmm. When I'm making a certain statement, in this moment, this is all of reality. And if five minutes later, my there are no thoughts and I don't have any memory of ever having had any thought before. Mm-hmm. And I say, no, there are no thoughts. And that would be true. 
That would be true. Yeah, it would be true from the perspective of me in five minutes and now. So all I'm saying is that what is truth is subjective. I see. Yeah. So I don't believe in objective truths. Yeah. So they would both be true. And it, them both being true is only a problem in the objective imagination right. of the world where it has to agree. But right. I'm saying it doesn't have to agree. Right. Yeah. I guess it's... I mean, this is, this is just probably like the rock bottom disagreement between us. Yeah. It's hard for me to imagine thinking to myself the following. Like, right mm-hmm. now I'm conscious. Mm-hmm. And if in five minutes from now I deny that, I won't yeah. be making a mistake. Because insofar as I'm now, like, so convinced that I'm conscious, I think, well, if five minutes from now, like, something happens, I get amnesia or whatever, and I start saying, oh, I just came into existence, Mm. um, I would be wrong. What's that? Well, you would be wrong. I would be making a a factual error, because Uh in fact, I did have, in fact, I did exist before, yeah? Yeah. So, So I think when we try to put both of those claims on the same plane, Mm -hmm. where it's relating to the same reality. One of them has to be true. The other has to be false. Yeah. But they're different realities because they were realities of two different selves. So I think reality is talking about reality is kind of weird from these two different perspectives, but it's kind of coincidental. I'll tell you a little incident that happened last night, which kind of uh, like kind of verges on some of these things that we're talking about. Which is I've had I've recently had an idea about the continuity of the self over mm-hmm. time, mm-hmm. which I in my mind the way that I could explain it to myself is by drawing some diagrams. Yeah. But I'd never actually explained it to a person before. But I tried to explain it. I was extremely high. I was trying <laughs> to explain this to my roommate. Yeah. Drawing these diagrams, and I think she got it. But this was also the first time that I explained it to someone. So it was kind of like a, whew, okay. So the idea is that normally I think we believe that there's a certain linear continuity of us over time. Mm -hmm. So right now I'm sitting here, I'm thinking of my different versions of cells going back into the past, like five minutes ago, 10 minutes ago, five years ago. Mm -hmm. And then maybe my imaginations of who I will be in five years, 10 years, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And then there's me right now. So if you join all of those dots, you get like a line and you could call that this is the line of time Mm -hmm. through which I continue as a self. But the inherent assumption there, if you put all of those dots on the same line, is that those dots all are coherently do form the same line. In mm-hmm. other words, the dot that represents me five minutes ago, I am mm-hmm. using that dot to represent two things, actually. The self that I actually was five minutes ago mm-hmm. and my imagination of who I was five minutes ago thinking about it right now Mm -hmm. those two selves are actually different one is an imagination the other was an actual whatever in that moment and when i think about myself from 10 years ago it's actually distorted everyone's memory of who they were in the past is incomplete and distorted Mm -hmm. so in the space of different selves or whatever those two are actually two distinct points Mm -hmm. who i actually was five minutes ago and who i think i was five minutes ago like Mm -hmm. right now so it's not actually like a single line, but the mind wants though all of, co- to collapse all of those things into the same line because it wants to believe in the, a single continuity of mm-hmm. the self. But truly, from every point in the course of your life where you've been a self, there stretches one line of your memory selves 
and the other is your future projection of selves. From every point where you've actually been a self, there was a different curve mm-hmm. of your continuity. Mm-hmm. And they don't intersect. Mm-hmm. So there's actually like a web of selves, mm-hmm. which include all of the selves that you have actually been in that moment. And that information is only recovering it, recoverable in that moment. And then everything else is just your projection or imagination of who you have been in the past and will be in the future. Mm-hmm. So if there have been N points of time, then for every point of time, let's say you have uh, N points from that point thinking about who else you have been, there are actually N squared mm-hmm. selves. Mm-hmm. Not N selves. But if you try to collapse them all onto one line, then it creates this kind of fake sense of continuity. Mm-hmm. But... It sounds like you were saying that um, when you were saying like we have distorted views of ourselves yeah. in the past, that makes it sound like there is a fact about what I was like in the past and mm. now I can have an accurate or distorted view of it. Yeah, yeah. I'm just saying there's a difference between the uh, actually being a self at a certain point of time and then the imagination of it later. They're actually completely different. Right. The one is a being, the uh-huh. other is a thinking. Like, uh-huh. Yeah. So they are apples and oranges. One is an imagination. The other is an actual perspective. Right. But I guess I thought that, that on your view, um, there is no fact about whether you existed five minutes ago or there uh-huh. is no actual, there is nothing to distort because there's no fact of the matter about what happened five minutes ago. Yeah, I would just say at this moment, if I refer to myself from five minutes ago, that's just an imagination. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But is it the kind of thing that can be distorted or accurate? I think it is. It's not even a distortion, really. Like, if you think about drawing a picture of something, Mm -hmm. the picture is qualitatively different from the thing itself. So they're two completely different things. Uh, One is like an actual perspective, like whatever consciousness is, I don't Mm -hmm. know what that is, like the quality of being in a moment. And the other is an imagination, Mm -hmm. which is just a part of everything that you're experiencing right now. Mm -hmm. So in this moment, you're experiencing all of your physical sensations, the picture in front of you, the sounds, and a cluster of thoughts that represent who you think you were five minutes ago. Right. But that's just a subset of your conscious experience. Mm-hmm. Maybe 10% of your conscious experience is just thoughts. Mm-hmm. But who you were five minutes ago was all. It wasn't a thought. So those two things are completely different. One is just a cluster of thoughts. The other is everything that was happening five minutes ago. Right. But like you're saying, mm-hmm. like what thoughts do is they represent the way yeah. the world was. or yeah. they. So they're not at all similar to the way the world was. They're just yeah. representations of it. So just like... A map is nothing like a road. Yeah, yeah. Um, it represents the road. And then we can talk about a map being accurate or inaccurate, even yeah. though there's no similarity at all between like a map and a road yeah. or a map and a city. Yeah, yeah. Um, so similarly, you might think we can talk about whether your thoughts about the past yeah. are accurate or inaccurate, even yeah. though yeah. they have nothing in common yeah. with that. I agree. I think you can kind of talk about the accuracy. And that's what I meant when I said, yeah. I had some idea of the accuracy when I was saying that it's kind of distorted. Mm -hmm. I feel like it does distort over time. Like if I think about who I was 10 years ago, 
I have a certain thing I could write down, but yeah. then if I actually read my journals, let's say from 10 years ago, I could say, oh, this is like a really distorted view of who I was. Um, so you can talk about the accuracy versus inaccuracy, but I think it's trickier to talk about the accuracy of this mental mass of the self, which are trickier than talking about the accuracy of a map representing a road. Mm -hmm. Because once again, that's like a thing that's out there in the world and you can trust different people's like, oh, I followed the map and it led me to a pool, so that can't be right. But when you just talk about like yourself, it's like it's that subjective thing comes in. So it's just harder to keep checking it against facts. Mm -hmm. So it's like extra tricky, I think, to talk about these accuracies or inaccuracies. Mm -hmm. Because the f what you're calling the fact of the matter, is the road really there or not? You can kind of talk about it when it comes mm -hmm. to the road. But are you really that or not is like mm -hmm. yeah. more difficult to talk about. Yeah, so there is there is um there is a view in in philosophy and philosophy of science in particular, you know, called verificationism, mm. which says that the only real facts or objective facts that there are are the ones that can be verified uh -huh. by independent sources. I see. Um, and it sounds like that's kind of something that maybe you have some sympathy towards because the... Yeah, some sympathy towards. Yeah. But I'm like quite opposed to like my perspective, as you can probably understand, is very much opposite to that. Well, it's very interesting yeah. because like the verificationists are often associated with these kind of like sort of... Um, reductionist yeah, yeah, yeah. scientific views. Yeah, yeah. And I've that's really, not your view. I've really flipped 180 on that in the course of my life. Yeah. I used to definitely be more of like, oh, just those objective facts and things like that. Yeah. And now I think, I don't know what the word for the opposite is, but sort of a solipsist, that's not a good thing to say, uh, but like kind of like, it kind of feels like whatever is happening is like more dreamlike. Mm -hmm. You know, like when yeah, you're in absolutely. a dream, how do you know that you're not dreaming right now? Yeah. A lot of these things that you're talking about, what are the facts of the matter, blah, blah, blah. All of these things that just become nonsense when it's a dream. Mm. Like other beings appear to you in their dream. Are you sure they're real? They have a conscious existence. You know, do they have thoughts? Can you settle with all of your dream buddies that there exist thoughts? What is the meaning of that question? Well, I yeah. think I think there is I think there are such facts like um, my the creatures in in my dreams don't have thoughts because they don't exist. Um, yeah, but that's only because you uh, we're talking about things that you like right now. We're talking about something that you know right now. We're talking about dreaming. Yeah. But when you're dreaming, mm -hmm. you don't know that you're dreaming. You can have this conversation with. A, how do you know that I'm not a dream creature? I don't, which is yeah. why, um, which is why I think you can, which is why I think we can have false beliefs. Yeah. So that's why I always want to be coming back to like, yeah. there's what we can be right, like what we can know and be sure about. And then yeah. there's what are their genuine questions? About. Yeah. So a lot of what I'm talking about might be mapped onto the question of, is this a dream or not? Yeah. Like if this is a dream, then there's no point in me trying to decide if all of us humans have thoughts. Mm -hmm. What experiment could I do in this dream that will tell me you know, whatever conclusion I arrive at, then I wake up and I'm like, well, well all, that, all of that was false. Mm -hmm. So I'm saying there's nothing I can do to tell whether this is a dream or not. Right. 
which is synonymous to saying like I don't care I don't think there are any facts of the matter like that mm-hmm okay you can well, also, I still deny that that's yeah. synonymous I think those are yeah, two separate okay, things but maybe okay, you okay. think both things <laughs> yeah, so yeah. uh yeah because yeah the dream linked. question is yeah. The dream question has to do with, like, what you can know. Mm-hmm. And then there's a question of, like, yeah, regardless of what I can know, what are, what is the world like or what yeah. facts are there? And you might think, though, like, you think they're linked, is, like, if I really thought that I couldn't know very much, for example, I thought maybe this was all a dream. Yeah. I wouldn't maybe be very motivated to sort yeah. of try and inquire into what the world was like because like yeah. the structure of the world within a dream yeah. isn't doesn't have um yeah. it's not very stable. Yeah. The structure of whatever dream this is yeah. seems stable enough for me to want to do science and get some gratification out of pattern recognition. Yeah. So even though this is a dream, I still feel motivated. Yeah. Also I don't make up my motivations. Motivations just arise and I follow them. Right. So Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Are we about like? Uh, we've got five more minutes. Okay. Yeah. I this kind of does feel like a topic that we could have like gone on for like longer. Yeah. And I also feel, uh, I feel kind of bad that I feel like I kind of dominated a lot of the conversation. Uh-huh. Well, but, oh, it's your podcast. You can do whatever you want. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I just feel like this is a topic in which I have a lot of like stored energy yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah. just like a lot of it's like blah 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 this is just yeah. what i believe and uh also yeah. i don't want to come across i feel like sometimes when i talk about this thing it just comes across with like a lot of force it's mm-hmm. like oh this is just what i believe and i think it's just like this is true and whatever mm-hmm. so i just like hope you don't mind that like it just sometimes i'm like oh this is just this is where i'm planting a flag in my no absolutely that's that's what that's what we do all the time in, yeah in, in philosophy so yeah that's totally yeah, that's yeah great okay well we don't have to like talk about anything more to just fill up the 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 five minutes okay okay but great. yeah but if there was a longer conversation what i would have liked to know about is i started with just your personal perspective on this topic yeah but i would have liked to ask and learn more about what are these theories that you talk about in class what have people um you know theorized and things like that about the self but i didn't want to start with those because that's a little less interesting to me yeah you know the self for me is like this very immediate experience so i just wanted to come to the immediacy of it right rather than talk about what this person said and that person said kind of feels like we uh, get a little bit actually i get a little bit distant yeah from it by all this web of thoughts yeah yeah for sure thanks for hanging with us in the room of lives although i can never know if you are a real conscious human being who actually experienced listening to my podcast so take care if that's possible until next time